we live in Southern California, right? And there is no way, nothing I do will change the weather of Cali in the middle of the summer. Like it is just the environment that I live in, right? I can perhaps go inside, turn on the AC and I can escape the outside for a bit. But based on the environment that I live in, there is no changing the fact that it's gonna be 102 degrees. I use that concept to remind myself that the environment of the world we live in is one of sin. Mm. There is nothing I can do to change the nature of this sinful world. But by the grace of God, because he came, he died, he loves me with an unending love. It's the equivalent of like him dying on the cross is the equivalent of putting me in a room with AC. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good evening, everybody. So glad that you're here. My name is Philip Milosavlovich, and next to me is... That's all right. Pastor Miguel. I'll introduce him. We are really excited to be up here tonight for a few reasons. Number one, because we get to stand before the people of God as we've gathered for church, and what a joy it is to see your faces here. If you're brand new, welcome. If you're a new student, you're someone who's in our congregation that's here. We're so glad that you're here. If you're watching online, welcome to you as well. But tonight, we don't want to stand here alone. We have some friends that we want to invite up here. And so we're going to invite our three incredible panelists to join us up on the stage tonight right now. So we're going to be sharing on the theme of suffering. And many of you wonder, man, why would you be talking about suffering? There are so many more joyful things you could be discussing. Well, we're following Pastor Randy's sermon series. That's for one. Number two, we're also wanting to talk about things that are very relevant to the human experience that all of us go through. And so tonight, this is where we're jumping into. We're going to have a QR code that's behind you um, popping up on the screen. And I'd like to invite each one of you to just kind of pull out your phones here for a moment because there are going to be a series of questions that you can ask that I'm going to chime in to our discussion tonight. And Pastor Miguel will be moderating our discussion with uh, some questions we've created, but we also want to hear from you. What are your questions about suffering? And so you hopefully can scan that. Is everyone getting that ability to do it? You got to kind of lift up your phone there pretty high. All right. Thank you, Pastor Phil. There we go. It works. And so before we get started, we have a really phenomenal group of people joining us. And it's just an embarrassment of riches here at Loma Linda because you throw a stone and you talk to people that are experts in their areas. And so today we're going to have is Rika, Jamie, and Brian, and we'll let you guys introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you do, what your experience with suffering is, how you are relating to that, and how you speak into this conversation. We'll start with you, Ezrika. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ezrika Bennett. I'm one of the uh, young adult elders here. I've been working with Praxis, I think, for the last five years or so, so I've seen it grow a lot. Uh, what I do in life, I'm actually in the process of applying for my PhD in theology and history. My goal is to be a professor. Um, specifically, like I wanna, I've always bounced between whether I should like be a pastor or a teacher of some sort, but I like the idea of teaching pastors. The people that like stand in front of congregations, just being able to uh, present challenging questions that they bring to their congregation is like really, I'm passionate about that. Other than that, I'm a freelance writer for the conference. I'm just a writer in general. I've written a few children's books. 
Um, still haven't published them yet, but that's it's coming. And I think my relationship with suffering or why I'm here talking about suffering is I'm human. Um, I was, I'm not American, I'm an immigrant, and growing up in an immigrant home, as you can imagine, hasn't been easy. So I've had my fair share of suffering, but also I think I'm a really deep feeler, and because I have the combination of feeling deeply and having words or being like, uh, a wordsmith of sort, like I can express my feelings very well. So I've explored suffering on my own or walked with suffering, uh, walk with friends through suffering. So that's perhaps why I have the opportunity to speak today, but I'm not an expert in any sense of the word. So I'm just here to share, I guess, my perspective. Thank you, Azrika. Jamie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Yes, um, I'm, uh, on the, I'm on the pastoral staff here um, with my wonderful colleagues. Woohoo! Yes, um, and I'm also a marriage and family therapist. So here at church, I help to connect people, help to provide programming and resources, and it's all, it's all happening now. It's all, just watch out, stuff's going to be coming um, that you'll all be able to benefit from. Um, and I also have a private practice. Like Azrika, I'm also human, <laughs> have the human experience. Um, and so I, I definitely deal, have dealt with suffering in my personal life as well as professional. Personally, I actually took a little time um, responding to Miguel because uh, this year has been particularly hard for me. Um, I've lost both of my parents. My dad actually passed actually 20 years ago in a sudden car accident. Um, but my mom passed this year. So I was a part of taking care of her during the end of her suffering, and now we mourn. And unfortunately, just weeks later, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer and is now uh, going through chemo. So I took my time to think about if, if you know, I, I felt like I had enough strength and that I could lean on God's strength to help me also be still a voice tonight. Um, and I absolutely work with people um, in private practice, um, uh, you know, dealing with all, all types of suffering. Had one in my office today, in fact. Um, and I, I actually, the last um, several months since my mom's passing, I, I actually clinically decide myself not to take on those new cases because I know that I'm still taking care of myself. So that's my story and my relationship with some suffering. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for just being vulnerable and open. Um, we want to do something together today, and that is, I think, all of us who have been alive for any amount of time become very eloquent in the grammar of suffering. It's just part of, of the human experience. And so we want to tell you, as you're sending in your questions, what this is not. This is not a group of experts telling you and giving you the answer to these existential questions that have baffled humanity since there's been humanity. We simply want to hold space for you. And so, Jamie, we're, we're just so thankful for, for that vulnerability. And we're holding space. So, Brian, you and I are related. Um, because in Adventism, all of us are related. So true. <laughs> but that's not why you're here. Um, you are here because you also have a experience professionally that puts you in journey with people who are suffering. And so tell us a little bit about yourself, Brian. Certainly. My name is Brian. Um, they call me Chaplain Brian. I am a chaplain. Uh, I, the, I guess more specifically, the area of chaplaincy that I work in is hospice. If you're not familiar with hospice, it is basically end of life, okay? And so, in other words, I deal with death and dying all day long. So that's my connection to suffering. Just a little bit of suffering. Just, just, just a little bit. That's, that's all I do every day. Wow. That's my day job. In the evening, I do run a program called um, I Am it's about me. It's helping people dig deeper into issues of suffering, pain, anxiety, helping you to go 
deeper into those things where it's difficult sometimes for us to ask ourselves the difficult questions, right? We need somebody to ask those questions for us so we can dig deeper and, and uncover a lot of the hurt, pain, anxiety, fear, whatever is going on. So I run that program as well. And so uh, suffering, yeah, Let, let's talk about it. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so just so thrilled at the prospect because I know that uh, for all of you, this, this is a journey that you're on and that you are blessed to travel with other people. And so in your different experiences, uh, Isrika, as a, as a faith leader in this community, um, as a minority, as an immigrant, um, Jamie as a, as a clinician, and Brian as providing spiritual care for end of life, I know that you have seen the gamut of experiences uh, and ways of coping with suffering. What, what are some different areas or some different coping mechanisms that we use, some different approaches that we typically use when it comes to suffering? You want to know the, the good ones or the... <laughs> we want to know them all. I'll jump in and say one of the coping mechanisms is avoidance. That's probably the biggest one. Many of us use that oftentimes without even knowing that we're using it. We just want to hide from it. Anything that's hard and tough and challenging that cuts to our core that we don't understand, we typically turn a blind eye to it and act as if it were nothing. That's one major coping mechanism. Whether it's a good one or not, that's one of our major ones. Just to make one comment on that, I remember when my mom was telling me about doing her master's in um, community counseling. And she said that, so many of your classmates had to go through the personal grieving process of their life's journey and go to therapy actually as part of the kind of master's program. And she said, I for the first time grieved my father's death almost 30 years later after he died because I avoided so much of the pain that it caused. And so many of the students now that I get to teach in courses that I do go through the same thing when they go through their course on dealing with loss and it's like, wow, I can't believe I had that in the back burner. And so you will have to grieve at some point. It's just a matter of when you will grieve it. Yeah, it's a great one. Better for you, for you and your health and your relationships if you don't wait too long. <laughs> so avoidance. Um, what are some other things that you've seen, other ways that people interact with, with suffering? Um, I think this is probably more one of the positive ones, I look straight ahead and I see like one of my really good friends that like she started med school recently so I haven't like been able to see her and I think about over the years how we've sat in my living room and cried together about like different issues, whether it's like family or heartbreak or whatever the case is. I find that grieving is such, it's like holding a sacred space with a person in the midst of their pain is not only difficult because you have to contend with your own pain, but I feel like it's divine. Like it's really and truly just beautiful to mingle your sorrows with someone else. And also I like was just in Hawaii and behind our, where we were staying were like mountains. And I was looking at the mountaintop and thinking about how beautiful the mountaintop is. And then I was thinking if I were on the mountaintop, I would be looking at the valley thinking how beautiful the valley is and how that thought made me realize it's hard sometimes to see our own selves in our like the, the most beautiful light. Like it's hard to see all that God has gifted you, all that you are, but having someone else that sees you, like it's, it's, it's the equivalent of like standing in the valley, observing the beauty of a mountaintop, having a community that can be like, hey, as you're going through a really difficult time, but this doesn't speak to who you are, just where you are right now, or this heartbreak, this disappointment, this failure isn't your character, it isn't your identity, it's just a season. So I think another way that sometimes, not everyone is privileged, I guess, to have good community, um, which we hope that all of you here feel like you have a space to, to really meet meaningful, meet and make meaningful relationships. Um, but I think community and just being able to sit with people is a beautiful way to, to go through suffering. 
So you mentioned community, and uh, Jamie, I want to ask you specifically, are there any do's and don'ts for communities that are trying to walk with somebody who is, who is suffering? I remember being in, in a really difficult experience, um, and pastors, we're not supposed to suffer, right? We, we're supposed to be faithful, and if we don't, we don't get it right, then how do our congregation, how, there's no hope for our congregations. And I was really struggling. And people around me, my community, who was very well-intentioned, um, was trying to treat me with kit gloves. And at least for me, that wasn't quite as helpful. Um, so what are some things that you've seen or that you counsel communities to do as they're trying to shepherd people through this, this experience of suffering? Mm -hmm. First of all, I want to say my pastoral um, colleagues were very supportive as a you know, colleague community in their prayers and support for me at a distance um, and upon returning. Um, so maybe get some lessons from them, um, at least for my, in my uh, particular experience of, of loss and um, taking care of my mom. But I would say that um, be careful not to, if you're a part of a community um, that you're maybe wanting to take care of someone, don't force people to do things they don't want to do or talk about things they don't want to talk about. It is important to just be there um, and quite often not even talk about the thing. Go with what the person is, is leading, um, you know, with what they, they are saying. And remember that sometimes when they, they're saying the most when they aren't saying something and they're, they're remaining silent on the issue um, or just, you know, actually in silence. Um, so that might be one. Mm -hmm. I, I think of a personal experience when I was just starting chaplaincy work some years ago. And there in the group discussion that we were having, I was mulling over the fact that I had walked out of being a pastor and now as a chaplain. And I was struggling with that. So much so that I felt my identity was shifting. And I voiced the question, how's everyone doing with becoming now a chaplain? And my, my supervisor stopped me and he said, no, how are you doing? Because he understood the question that was coming out of my heart was actually my question. And when he stopped me in that moment, I actually started to realize I had so much pain and hurt. And my eyes started to swell and the tears started to flow. And I started to weep in front of my colleagues there. And all of a sudden, you begin to see when someone cries, how people respond when someone else is in pain. Sometimes when you see someone who's in pain, many of us, actually a majority of us, were raised in a culture, particularly in the United States, where pain, negativity, sorrow is not something we talk about, deal with, or go through. And we want to go into positive things. Be happy, smile, laugh. Like, you know, my disposition is probably more like that. I'm smacking Miguel, but he probably is more of a realist than I am. But, but we don't know what to do. And so some of my colleagues immediately started to say, hey, no, Philip, it's okay. And my, and my supervisor, intelligent, brilliant man, he said, no, stop. Let him cry. Let him cry. And that's, I think, one of the most important things is we, when someone is going through grief, sorrow, suffering, let them feel the pain. Because if we move them on too quickly from their pain, we actually stop the process God has actually created to arrive at a place of wholeness if you stop the suffering too prematurely. That's one thing that, that really hit me that I thought, Wow, that's never going to leave me. Can I also say with regard to your question about community, being a part of a community is, of course, wonderful and great. But when you talk about forcing and making sure that people are okay, sometimes community will be the last thing mm -hmm. that they're looking for. So to your point of, you know, let them cry, let them feel that. Don't push them someplace where they don't want to be. Community also may be that place where they may not want to be right now, depending on the kind of suffering that they're going through. You know, public humility, that's suffering. Mm 
um, whatever may happen because of the, the issues that they're facing may cause additional damage to them by being around community. So, but being aware that that person is going through that is what's really important, that we are aware of what they're going through and their need to not necessarily put our need, what we think their need is, but to ask and to question what their need is, and it may be community, and it may not be. I, go ahead, go ahead. Um, in regards to what you each shared, I um, have a little bit of a personal confession, and that is that it was hard for me to be in community when I came back from my mom's funeral. Um, I kind of just, I just kind of needed to be a little bit more in the background, and maybe even some of you noticed that because I was quite new here, still kind of am, <laughs> and so I don't know a lot of you. But it's sometimes when I'm suffering inside, I know it's just one of those harder days. It's really hard for me to sometimes be more social, and it's not as much community. Actually, it's a bit more kind of social, but. But even to some extent, with, with other parts of, of community, I just knew I needed a little bit of time for myself. Or if it wasn't time for myself, to kind of just, you know, be there, but in the background. And so, um, so if that was any of you that I might have not been as, as talkative, um, you know, realize you never know what the person is going through. And a lot of people didn't know I had just lost my mom. Yeah, and I think... While like we're talking about how to grieve as a community, another thing that I realize, and this is actually something I'm working on because I am a talker by nature, um, and I find that sometimes like this is something I'm like genuinely praying through is how to be a better listener. Like sometimes I'm listening to give advice not necessarily listening to hear like the person's heart. And a couple of months ago, Phil like had some of the leaders sit through a class on how to like attune with people or just like sit with them and, and almost just like let them speak. Because I find that it's, it's almost like selfishness and arrogance if I instantly wanna fix your problems. It points to the fact that maybe I'm ill-equipped to sit with you. Like I don't wanna deal with your pain or I'm, maybe it's not I don't want to, maybe I do want to, but maybe I'm not fully able to. Like sitting in your pain uh, triggers my pain and I'm not ready to have that conversation with myself. So I think another thing with the community is not being too quick to fix. Like to really listen, listen, listen to people. And another thing that I think is problematic when grieving with other people, and this is something I've had to learn, and it's gonna sound weird for a little bit, but it's actually grace. Um, there are times, I call it like the misappropriation of grace. Phil, I don't know if you remembered, we were gonna record a podcast on this, uh, talking about like there are times when we don't allow victims to sit in their anger and their pain. We almost tell them like, get over it. Or this person didn't mean to hurt you. Or like, it, it's not that bad. And in doing so, we rob them of like all the feelings that they need to feel to be able to move on. But in our minds, maybe we're, we're being just. Maybe we're pointing to the fact that the other person, they're not bad inherently, but it's not necessarily always about good or bad. Perhaps they were unsafe. And whatever the case is, they caused harm to this person. And so sometimes in an act or like in an effort to be gracious, we actually rob people from their like authentic experience of healing. And we teach them that they're wrong for feeling their pain, which I'm sure in one way or the other, whether it's like through church or just like in life, we've experienced that where we were told to like get over it, maybe not so in such a crass way, but we were we were told that we're wrong for feeling this because the person didn't mean to hurt us. And so that's another thing I find uh, could be damaging when yeah. grieving with others. Yeah. Go ahead. If we were to establish maybe why people suffer in, in the multifaceted aspects, I would say that's a really important thing to first understand. Uh, we're doing an adult Bible study experience right now as a, as a denomination in, in our Sabbath school on crucibles. And I loved one lesson that talked about just the various facets and how we suffer. And I'm going to ask one of your questions that you actually posed to us, but I want to share this really briefly first because sometimes we suffer because of our own foolishness. Needlessly suffering because we choose a path that we don't need to go down. 
we take certain actions that we know the word of God speaks against and we walk down a path of just hurt. Then there is the actions others impose on us, causing suffering to our lives. Then if we understand uh, 1 Peter 5.8, there roars a lion who is eager to kill, destroy, and take your life out. Satan. Satan actually causes some of our suffering. Absolutely. But then there is the suffering where the permissive will of God is involved. One of your questions here was, many people don't believe in God because of suffering. They say, if there is a God, I don't want to believe in him because a good and loving God wouldn't allow this. What's the best response to that? And Miguel, Questions. you're in there too. <laughs> I, I ask them. I mean, I, I get that actually quite often in my office. You might too. Mm. Um, so um, many times I find myself praying <laughs> for the Holy Spirit and, you know, to direct the conversation, but um, I usually ask questions, and I, I ask questions about their perception of God and where they got that perception, and um, do they think that that perception is is the right one, oh, um, so especially biblically, mm. um, and so often we'll end up getting into discussions, for example, about Job, and um, so I go with questions, like, open it up. I mean, they'll, 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 they want to share. They're asking. They're there for for the session or they're bringing it up to you. So um, they do want an answer, but got to help them dig for it. I'll, I'll say this. When dealing with believers, it's easier to have that discussion and to dig deeper, ask those questions. In the field of chaplaincy, we're, we often are dealing with people outside of our own faith tradition. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. But a lot of the people that I deal with come from a wide swath of beliefs, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist. I mean, so how do you have those kind of discussions with people who just don't believe even in, well, I mean, you have to believe in a God to even be an atheist. So, but how do you have those discussions? That's the challenge that I find. And yes, one of the greatest things to do is to ask questions. One of the greatest lessons I've learned as a chaplain doing the CPEs is be an inquisitor. Question, question, question. Never go in thinking that you have the answers or that with your questions you can find the answers or that by praying the Holy Spirit will give you an answer. But to just be in that space so that the Holy Spirit can move in your question is what I have found has been very vital to that experience for a believer and a non-believer that just says, hey, I don't want to believe in this God. And if I do believe in this God, I hate this God because he's allowed me to suffer through this. My job is to try to convince you otherwise, but to help you just be in that space and to know that it's okay to even think like that. And from there, we can move or they can move as they choose to move. That's, that's why I love having you here. Because all three of you, because it's such, it's such a different way of, appro uh, of approaching it. You see, for me, I, I got my, my graduate degree in philosophical theology. So I knew the, I thought I knew the answers. There's a whole field dedicated in philosophy, dedicated to answering those questions. It's called theodicy. And then I, I was in a hospital bed, or I was doing counseling, or I was trying to pastor a church. And you know how much those classes helped me? Because pain demands to be felt. And I think one, one of the things that I love about what all three of you are saying is in order to be the hands and the body of a God who has been marred by suffering. God, when God speaks about suffering, he doesn't speak about something that he knows academically. God knows what it is to suffer. That's the whole point of the incarnation. 
And so when you are doing that, when you are incarnating yourself, whether it's in a community or in a counseling office or in a hospital room, I think all three of you are humble enough to say, we're just going to ask questions. Here's a follow-up, though, and you guys can, can answer. Any of you can, can answer it. I'm, I'm really excited to see how, what you would do. Brian, uh, a mother uh, is coming to you because she just got the diagnosis that her child is terminally ill. Um, Jamie, parents are coming to you because they've lost their uh, adolescent in a, in a car accident. Um, Ezrika, you've got, you, you have to mentor and work in a community of faith that has just lost someone through suicide. And the question that you get is, why is this happening? Is the question really about God? Or is the question that is being asked more existential? Is the question that is being asked so difficult to even verbalize that it's expressed in anger and in why is this happening? And how do you answer those questions, those, those scenarios when you deal with them? So we're going to role play now. Yes. You didn't tell me we were going to role play. You also said there's not going to be an academic discussion and you bring it, see, this. I'm not. Wow. I, did, I said, listen, I said that all my classes and all my academic achievements served for nothing. The problem is Miguel uses these big words and right. he makes it academic by just blowing out yes. existential. And, anyways. I, it, and I feel you already have the answer. I don't. That's this. why I'm asking. I don't. Because you guys deal with it way more than I do. So how do you, when somebody is asking why, do they really want an answer? Isrika, you're shaking your head already. No. I mean, I think it's almost like, of course you technically want an answer. But keep the mic up there. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm sure, like, they technically want an answer. But more than anything, more than anything, what I've realized when, um, like, I'm walking with a friend through grief or even I'm grieving and I'm aware that, like, this is a season of mourning, it's okay if I don't know why if I like if my feelings are validated like it's okay because because there's a part of me that will always know there are things beyond my comprehension like there are things that I on this side of like earth I will never understand but for me when I'm like crying to my friend teen or you know talking to my friend Hazel very rarely do I want them to tell me the why as much as like hey you're seen hey this hurts this truly sucks like, I don't want an answer per se, because even if you give an answer, you can't give me a solution. Like, you can't fix this for me. But I don't want you to, like, fix it as much as I just want to know that it's okay that I'm sad. That, like, I'm, like, yeah, genuinely, that I'm seen. So when, when anyone goes through, like, these really big moments of grief, as solution, because we may not know how to articulate, like, hey, I just need support, we default to being, like, I need answers. But answers is very often our mind's way to like find some level of stability. It's our, it's like our soul's way for finding like an anchoring point. Such a good point. But I think like a lot of times I couldn't care less about like an answer as much as a friend to hold my hand, mm. as much as someone to wipe my tears and say, hey, Ezrika, you're not being dramatic. This person <laughs> did you wrong or this is a tough season in life or this sucks, but you're going to like get through it. And even if you don't get through it for the next year, I'm here holding space with mm. you. That's what mm. I think a lot of us want during our seasons of grief. But it's hard to like express your deep emotional needs if you haven't practiced using the language of loss. Haven't practiced it, or if you don't have people like yourself or friends around, um, I think that um, if somebody were to come to, to one of us, they could be at any stage of what you were suggesting. Um, and I think that has to happen. For some people, it will be shorter and others it will be longer. It's hard to know at what point they really do want uh, to actually ha get in and have more answers or they need more of that comfort. And so, but then when, when they've gotten through some of that, um, I think it, I think, 
a large part of it comes down to some existential questions and discussion. Existential. You're shaking your head, Brian. No, no, you just, you went back to, yeah. <laughs> actually, what he actually, I, when, when he sent me like four sentences today and I thought about, um, I thought about this, I actually, I already, I already came up with that answer. So and this wasn't even the question. I just, I just as I contemplated and meditated, um, and, and that's where a lot of my clients end up landing after we've worked through the, the, you know, the emotional part and having some language around it, um, then we can get to those discussions of purpose and meaning of life and yeah. God and all of yeah. why we're here. Can I jump in on that as well? So I love that you said validating feeling, validating where they are. That is so important to just know that it's okay where I am. To not have somebody try to take me out of where I am, but you're hurt and it's okay to hurt. To answer that question, the room gets silent in my arena. That's a hard thing to do, is to be in a room just quiet. They ask you a question, why? I want to fill the space with an answer or with blah, 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 because it's quiet. It's so hard and difficult to be comfortable in silence. But that's the space that that question, that that question leads to. It builds to that. There is nothing you can say. So why think that you can answer that? And when you start thinking you can, you start saying stuff instead of just being comfortable in the silence. So, so being quiet, Phil, we, we need to be quiet more. <laughs> Pastors, yeah. um, sorry. <laughs> and I, I think, Phil, when, in, in what we do, it's, it's kind of easy to do that for some of us, to just listen and hug and be. We, we offer each other grace, as Rico was saying, when somebody is sad. But a lot of times, sadness isn't the default response that we get. It's anger. And anger is trickier. Because when somebody is angry, they are going to say things that by de facto make you uncomfortable. Where the hell are you, God? This is unfair, God. I don't like you, God. Maybe you're not there. And as pastors, Phil, isn't that's really, really uncomfortable. Oh, extremely. So how do we deal better with not just offering grace when we are experiencing sadness, but offering a listening ear when our very theological foundations are being questioned? And sometimes, at least us pastors, we care about theology more than we do people. So how, what did we do, Phil? How do we get better Ouch. at dealing with their anger? Can we say that one again? I think that pastor wants to answer over there. <laughs> so um, in order to truly empathize with someone, you have to listen. And sometimes because they might not have the language or they're not used to having the space or the silence to, to go through the pain, um, I love actually the silence. I love using silence in my in my office. Um, it's such a powerful tool, um, and uh, I just I love what God does with it. So um, so that gives the person the space, and I'm listening. And so as I'm listening, my mirror neurons then have more of an ability to connect with the person and have empathy and therefore providing a space, especially if I'm actually in their physical realm, even more so, provide the space where they're felt. So I, I think it was maybe like two or three years ago, Philly, you remember this season in my life that I was like going through deep depression. Uh, I feel like 
uh, heartbreak. I don't take heartbreak very well because, again, I'm like a deep, deep, deep feeler. But, like, I think it was the first time in my life that I was pissed at God because I was just tired of it. But I'd grown up thinking anger was such a bad thing because, like, growing up in church, you're told not to be angry. Like, we're told to fear anger. But for whatever reason, in that season, I started being so honest with God. Like, I'm so mad at you. I'm so disgusted at my life. I hate this, all the pity things that I would, like, go through. And you know what? God wasn't upset with me. Like, it, in that season, I learned I never held him up to begin with. Like, so I couldn't let him down by having these big emotions. One and two, he already knew how I felt without me saying it. But me being open and honest, I feel like it's what David does a lot. Like, he laments a lot where he would be like, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? But you know what? Nevertheless, I trust you. And, I, and my relationship with God shifted where I realized I could be so raw and honest and authentic with God, and he would love me no less. Like, he would listen to everything I'm saying. And I think it was earlier this year, last year, I was listening to a podcast called Be Known. It's two physicians, or like one is a physician, another person is like a producer. And um, he mentioned that grow, he grew up in a household where his father was never angry right? Like he never displayed anger. But only in his adulthood, adulthood did he realize it's because everyone in the house tiptoed around their father. Their whole life was spent making sure they didn't trigger him. And as a result with that, he ended up growing with a really bad relationship with anger. And I remember listening to that podcast where my, my dad was the complete opposite. Like growing up, I, life was hard. He brought his family to America. He's doing everything he can to make ends meet, and it's not working. As an adult, I can understand why he was frustrated. As a child, I couldn't. I couldn't understand why he was angry all the time. And I grew up fearing anger so much. Like, I thought if I was mad at people, then I was a bad person. Like, it showed that I didn't love God. I didn't, I wasn't a good person. And it wasn't until I contended with that that I realized God can handle my anger as well. And so in those seasons when people are angry and they're saying things that, you know, a minute later, a month later, they, they won't, won't, like, fully mean, I've learned that, like, it, you still have to give them grace. Like, you have to allow them to, to like, get it out of their system because only... You, our emotions need motion. Like only through allowing it to come out can they go through the process and eventually heal. Mm. So that's what I've learned is like I'm working on my relationship with anger even now yeah. where I'm allowed to be angry. And sometimes being angry means I say things I, I ultimately may not mean or I may regret that it came out that way, but I'm mm. still given mm. grace by God. Mm. And if I find safe people that I can express that to, they don't hold that against me. Yeah. They just see me from being a, a being a human and they understand that like the pain that I'm feeling is being expressed in this way. Talking about anger, I don't know how many of you know the story of Joni Erickson Tata. She was a young teenager who was very athletic horseback riding, jumper, swimmer, and one day she took a dive in a very shallow pool from a really high kind of level, ended up paralyzed from the, from the I think, midway through her back and down. She can kind of barely use her hands, but she has been such a conduit about the power of suffering in the Christian community and she wrote this, and, and I, I want to share this with you because it's going to lead into some scripture that I want us to, to kind of ponder together. And she wrote this, Suffering provides the gym equipment on which my faith can be exercised. Suffering provides the gym equipment on which my faith can be exercised. It reminds me of the text in Isaiah when Isaiah speaks to the people of their season of incredible sorrow. And he says this, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. This idea that beauty can emerge from ashes is really difficult when you're in the moment of the suffering. When you're in it, it is tough. And so one of your questions that 
that's emerged, which I think is brilliant, and, and I want us to kind of just look at this just really briefly, is why do the disciples in the Bible glory when they suffer for Christ? Why is suffering important in the Christian walk? Why is it important in the Christian walk? You, you want me to answer that one? Because, because I don't think it's important. I think it's necessary. I think oh. we need to stop glorifying. I love what you said, Ezrika. We've got this medieval understanding of stoicism, and I need to be quiet and just take it and take the suffering, and it's okay, and God's not going to send me any more than I can handle. No. Suffering is not necessary for you to have faith. Suffering is a part of life. What matters is what a person of faith does with it. Mm. And I think for God, thank you for pointing us to Scripture, and I'd love to get your three take, yours takes on this. For God, God is more interested in you doing whatever works for you. Whatever works for you, that's what you do. And that's how you get through it. If Joni Erickson Tata uh, sees it as a gym equipment, great. If Job says, curse the day I was born, great. If the author of Proverbs says, hey, um, do well and eat your vitamins and your vegetables and you'll grow strong, great. If you end up in a season like Ecclesiastes where he says, you know what? Nothing matters. Everything is meaningless. I'm completely nihilistic. That's okay, too. God will let you do whatever you need to do in order to survive the season of life. And so I think one of the things that really I think I, I push back against is this, this need for us to glorify suffering as if it was part of God's plan for our redemption. Suffering is not part of God's plan for life. Suff that's why we cry at funerals. Because there is something within us that says, this is not okay. This is wrong. And so, friends, how, how many, uh, what do you do with, with sometimes maybe people that just want one pathway when Scripture seems to be giving us a bunch of pathways that sometimes are, in, if you read Job, for example, and you read Proverbs, it's two completely different faith frameworks, and yet they're both in scripture, is it okay for us to have different approaches then to the problem and the question of suffering? I have a bit of a different look at that. Uh-oh, someone different? Yes, than I you. I like this. I yes. like this. So, count it all joy, right? A servant is no greater than his master. Jesus had to go to the cross. Who are we to think we will not suffer? Servant is not greater than his master. So what I believe this life is about, among many, many other things, but one thing in particular is perspective. How we look at things, either from an earthly perspective, a human perspective, that's all we can see, or is God calling us through his word, through our relationship with him, our study of his word, to look at things from a heavenly, a divine perspective, to be Christ-like, is to think like him, where he doesn't look at suffering in the same way that we do. He doesn't look at death in the same way that we do. So when he can go to the grave and come out with the keys, we too can do the same thing, right? If he went to the cross and endured the cross for us, who are we to think that we will not go through that suffering to come out on the other end so that when he does come again, we will, we will have a reason to truly rejoice in the fact that we have overcome. Amen. So with that suffering, it's about having the perspective on it that says, okay, God, you're teaching me to truly trust you and look at things in a heavenly perspective than just my own blind yes. perspective. Looking for glory to come rather than a present moment.
Go, go ahead, Ezrika or Jamie. Drop the mic, drop the mic. Because I feel, I feel we need to get an offering. Uh, you forgot, though, as, as any good pastor does. That, no, no, no. As any good pastor does, you were saying the cross and servant is no greater than its... And amen to that. And yet, Jesus wept. And it was no, it was no like, minimal, like, ah. Uh, it was this guttural, deep expression of suffering. And so I think what we're both saying, hopefully is that the, there is no answers, there is no pathway, there is whatever you need to, there to be. So Jamie and Rika, help us, help us out. Yeah, so there, there are two ideas that like, I anchor myself with when I'm going through difficult seasons. The first is almost like an analogy. So we live in Southern California, right? And there is no way, nothing I do will change the weather of Cali in the middle of the summer. Like, it is just the environment that I live in, right? I can perhaps go inside, turn on the AC, and I can escape the outside for a bit. But based on the environment that I live in, there is no changing the fact that it's going to be 102 degrees. I use that concept to remind myself that the environment of the world we live in is one of sin. Mm. There is nothing I can do to change the nature of this sinful world. Mm. But by the grace of God, because he came, he died, he loves me with an unending love. It's the equivalent of like him dying on the cross is the equivalent of putting me in a room with AC. Mm. It, change, it changes like my immediate space, but it doesn't change the overall environment. Does that make sense? Right. So like I remind myself that the nature of life is pain. Life is pain. Love is pain. Beauty is pain. They are all interchangeable and nothing I do can change that. But I can cling to God and turn on the AC and make it a little less hot if but for a moment. I don't get to change that I live in a sinful world. It's what I was born into. And so I cannot change that maybe tomorrow I will cry because my heart is broken. My dad is currently super sick. My family, like there are so many things that I'm contending with on a regular basis, as I'm sure you all are. But that's the nature of the world I mm. live in. And the second idea I reflect on is that the word is anti-fragility. Uh, and so like there's a different, there's a spectrum. When you're fragile, any opposition breaks you. Then there's like you're robust or you're resilient, which means like you go through opposition, but you're able to keep going through it. So you're able to like persist. Then at the peak of that scale is anti-fragility. And what that means is when you go through hardship, it makes you better. Like you learn from it. And when I read that, there's a whole book on it. I was like, man, I don't wanna be just resilient. I want to be able to take the things that life throws at me, which again, God is not punishing you with pain. That's not his nature. And I don't want you to think that because there are things some of you have gone through in here that is unimaginable. That's not God putting it on you. That's not a matter of your worth. That's not a matter of his love for you. It's again, a matter of the environment we live in, which is a sinful world. But our minds were created, I think, to be anti-fragile in the sense that we are able to transcend that pain and grow and learn from it. And like, like he was saying, when Jesus comes back, which I believe, like there will be a song in my heart because I know all the things I overcame like through Christ. And so those are things that I keep in mind when like life gets difficult. Um, sometimes, sometimes I just like wallow in my sorrows, but other times like I'm able to remind myself that I'm created uh, to be able to like make it through this with God. And I agree with Miguel, there's no right way to do it. Whatever works for you, works for you, unless, I mean, no, let's just leave it there. Do what works for you and know that in the midst of your sorrows, God is actually walking with you through the journey. One of our, one of our uh, attendees here, they said in response to this question, the promise is not that life will get better, but that God's love is better than this life. Sometimes we pray for God to change our circumstances, but the prayer isn't always answered. It's not because he doesn't love us. He is simply trying to show us something better. God definitely has the power to change our external surroundings, but his greater power is the ability to transform us from the inside out through the pain. Oof, that was, that was big. So we've come to the end. We have literally 50 questions and statements people have made, and we can't That's even awesome. get to all of them. 
But I do want to just throw out some of the questions that we've had and hear any of your responses, just one final thought, or or just share your own. But um, do people use the victim card too much in their seasons of suffering? Favorite verses to meditate on during seasons of suffering? How do our expectations influence our suffering? What is the difference between discomfort and suffering? How do we explain or justify God allowing the innocent to suffer? Um, for Jamie, you know, I've had emotional trauma from a family that hurt me deeply at a young age. How do I trust again? Should I, should the average person have to suffer for the sake of Christ? Or is that something only for the saints like Pastor Miguel and Philip? <laughs> Great question. Man, our statement. Right? I love that. That's great. There are literally 30 more questions. Oh, wow. Any, any last comments on just this topic? On any of those questions, by the way. I'll mention something for the first one. I do think that depending upon what stage they're in, based on what you just shared about fragility, anti-fragility, um, some people could use, you know, they could use their pain and loss um, and try to become the victim. Um, and then for the other question that named me specifically, um, I'll answer it generally just to say that if that person is still in your life and depending upon what the hurt is, you may not... Um, it might not be recommended to trust that person again. It just depends what it is. So obviously, I mean, there, that could be a very big <laughs> spectrum of, of what happened. Um, but I will say that if it is something that a person could heal from and learn to trust the person or in general, trust in general, um, I would say maybe begin to consider what your narrative is around what you're telling yourself uh, of what happened. Done. You should drop the mic too. That was powerful. Brian, what do you got, Brian, on any of those questions? Yeah. Right. Um, There's a lot of them. They just came just at me quick. I'll, <laughs> I'll just say this. Uh, my last thought would be, if you really have faith, you really believe in this God that we've been taught our whole lives, maybe some of you are just hearing it newly. But if you truly have faith in what God is doing, that he is in all things and all things happen because of him, then trust where he has you, wherever that is. If it's in the pit where Joseph was, we don't know what happened in the pit where Joseph was. There's no stories that talk about what happened in it. But God had him there. And if he's there, if God is with you, what else matters? Who cares what you're going through? If you truly believe God is everything for you, then it doesn't matter where he takes you, even if it is to death. Wow. I think my, my last thing is go to therapy. I feel like... Um, yes. I like it. Yes. Like, ding, 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 ding. You can love God and need a therapist. I didn't that want to be so me. obvious. Yeah. No, I, I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll say it. Um, because if you... I, we were... Something I heard the Sabbath that I really appreciated, change your mind, change your life. A lot of, a lot of my suffering comes from the lies I tell myself. Yeah. About myself, about God, about others. Narrative. Yeah. So go to therapy, please, and thank you. Yay. Awesome. Woo. We're all therapists here. Bro, there you go. Hey, can we thank our panelists for being up here tonight? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I hesitate to say one final thought because that's how Jerry Springer closes his shows. Um, but somebody asked about Nietzsche. Uh, he came in one of your questions. And I can't... I, I can't let that go unanswered. Uh, Nietzsche, I think, gave probably, other than scripture, the best philosophy towards suffering. Nietzsche says that human beings can bear anyhow if they have a why. And Robert Frost, of all people, gives us the why. He's got a, a little four-line poem called The Question. It, it Reads a little like this. Look me in the stars and tell me, men of earth, if all the pain and body scars are much too high a price to pay for birth. 
That's an answer that you're going to have to come up with. Our prayer is that your, your answer includes a space for God. What I love about the Jewish tradition, and nobody knows more about suffering than the Jews, is that they can be upset at God, they can leave the table, they can anger and rail at God, but God is always there. And so whatever you do in your own fight to answer that question, leave space for God. May it be said about you as it was said about Job, Job who cursed everything. The day he was born, the light, the world that God created, in the end, God said, you have spoken truly about me. So may your answers and your struggles and your search for a why have a place for God. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.